leader. Shadow Tola is my name. The show is produced by Hazel Makuzeni. And our technical producer for today is Rob Parkin. You may reach us on 0892-102010. Email otherwise at safm.co.za. Tweets at otherwise safm or at Shadow Twala. Now, there was a panel discussion and the topic was, has the 16 days of activism campaign become a convenient excuse for 11 months of apathy? Panasha Chigumadzi, who is the founder and editor of Vanguard magazine, gives us a report back. And then Comfortable in Your Own Skin is a book aimed at teenage girls to boost their self-confidence. We talk to the author, Liandi Durant. And finally, we find out how we can fight youth unemployment together from Abigail Matlangu of Tushia Advisory Services. But first, our lunch bite for today. I fight like a girl. I fight like a girl who refuses to be a victim. I fight like a girl who's tired of being ignored humored, beaten, raped. I fight like a girl who's sick of not being taken seriously. I fight like a girl who's been pushed too far. I fight like a girl who offers, demands respect. I fight like a girl who has a lifetime of anger and strength and pride pent up in her girly body. I fight like a girl who doesn't believe in fear or submission. I fight like a girl who knows what who knows that this body and this mind are mine i fight like a girl who knows that you have only as much powers as i grant you i fight like a girl who will never allow you to take more than i offer i fight like a girl who fights back so next time you think you can you can distract yourself from your insecurities by victimizing a girl think again she may be me and i fight like a girl otherwise on SAFM. My guest is Panashe Chigumazi, founder and editor of Vanguard magazine. Welcome, Panashe. Thank you so much, Shadow and the guy today. Listen, darling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I catch you off guard. <laughs> you did. <laughs> you did. <laughs> now, that's disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> We must speak our languages. <laughs> Are you learning much? I'm learning very, very much as usual. Good, good, good for you. Now, has 16 days uh, of activism campaign become a convenient excuse for 11 months of apathy? Well, that's such a way to just get straight into it. Mm. Um, I think part of the conversation that I've been having, um, I sat in a panel this week that was, you know, asking that question, and um, I sat with three other ladies working in um, civil society organizations fighting for women's rights, um, working against gender-based uh, violence, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the likes of power, uh, sweat, mm-hmm. uh, gen- gender justice, and, you know, they gave a really great outline of the kind of engagement they've had with the Ministry of Women, uh, and some of the difficulties and the kind of um, approach or the attitude that's displayed by the Ministry. So, for example, uh, they spoke about, you know, the launch of 15 Days of Activism uh, where the Minister spoke of, well, very troublingly, she spoke saying that men are here to protect women, 
uh, you know, sort of taking away the agency of women as opposed mm-hmm. to saying that, right, let's talk about the culture that needs men to protect women in the first place um, and not saying that men should, you know, continue to protect us and continue women as, as infantilized um, or children, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there was a princess there who also spoke about, you know, feminism being um, un-African and that we should mm-hmm. do away with shelters and that sort of thing because um, it's it, problems should be dealt with at home. So there seems to be... Uh, from that level, at the very sort of macro level, it's it's quite problematic because I think it's not so much an issue of apathy because these women are very busy, the ministry is very busy, but is it misplaced? Is there really an understanding of patriarchy? And I think one of the things that we spoke about at this panel, um, particularly from my perspective um, within the media, is the saying that often I think it's, it's the 16 days of activism is reflective of the way in which we compartmentalize um, um, violence, gender-based violence, and our rape and abuse culture. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to say it's so 16 days and we're going to fight about this um, and we're not going to really focus on it for 365 days of the year. Um, you know, when we cover things like, you know, the Oscar Pistorius trial, uh, you know, it was really about the shock and horror that how did, uh, you know, what kind of extenuating circumstances caused Oscar to do this? How did he uh, commit such not non-human um, acts, this monster and mutant of society, when really that is our brother, sister, lover, or brother, uncle, father, mm-hmm. friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, he's one of us. That's our culture. That's our society. And I think that's when we begin to start um, really tackling the problem when we stop looking at it as these um, really um, these anomalies of our society. It's not extreme cases. That is the everyday case in society. So I, I guess my answer to the question um, is that it's not that we're apathetic. I think we don't quite have an understanding of what our problems are as a society. Do you know how many years have we done the, this, this campaign? Um, I mean, it's been a, it was a campaign that was activated or that's been spearheaded by the UN. So if I'm not mistaken, this is the 16th year of 16 days of activism. And yet, we, I'm finding, and I've been, I've been reading newspapers, I've been listening to other media to find out exactly mm-hmm. how, how much of a discussion is being held and what is being done. And I may be correct, I stand to be corrected here, but there's much less um, in, in, in our faces this year. Um, mm. And I'm not hearing robust debates around it. Yes, I hear people, a lot of people are not happy with the ministry and how it's handling the the campaign. But on the ground, I think there isn't much uh, of a discussion. And I'm not too sure if I'm expecting too much and I'm not even too sure what I'm expecting. But I just thought we'd be more uh, organized to to put the message out there that, you know, we cannot continue to let children and women be treated the way they are. But there's very, this dinner talk maybe but not a, a kind of a national or even at community level. I don't see a groundswell of, of activism. I mean, from the civil society um, level, um, organizations are there. They're working very, very hard. Um, I think really the mantle of feminism fighting for gender equality is being taken up from them because there is a void at the political level. Um, you know, when ministers can endorse um, 
speakers at events saying feminism is un-African, you know, feminism is simply the fight for gender equality, mm-hmm. uh, then that's quite problematic. But I will say that from the civil society orga- um, level in terms of organizations, they are doing quite a lot of work, um, very thankless work. Um, for the wider public, I think there is, m- perhaps there, there's a lot more of a sense of apathy. Mm-hmm. For myself, um, you know, we've been hearing of this campaign since I can remember, uh, you know, as, as someone who's, I think, how old am I? 23. And ever since I can remember, I've been hearing 16 days of activism, but I've never really known what is this campaign about. Mm. And I think there's also a sense of apathy around just the way in which some of these campaigns are um, how they're conducted. So it's a celebration, it's a rally at a stadium, but really what substantive actions come out of there? So I don't think it's, it's, it's surprising that people then switch off. Um, from some of these things, um, you know, because I think sometimes we, we often think that if I have a rally here, if I have this as a celebration, if I have a couple of awards and that kind of thing, we've dealt with the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely there is a lot more space to speak about these things. And again, I think, you know, for me, from the perspective of, uh, of a middle class woman, um, very often it has been looked at as an issue that women in townships, lower income households deal with. It's not something that I would deal with. And, and again, I think that was, we were exposed when the get the story of um, trial um, was going on because that's when you saw how shocked we were because that's not supposed to happen to us Mm -hmm. according to the kind of narratives that we've been hearing. So Mm -hmm. I think that there needs to be a lot of deconstruction of what does it mean when we're fighting against gender-based violence, who who perpetuates it, and it's not just men who are complicit in it, it's Mm -hmm. us as women as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Do we speak, do we allow, or do we support fellow women when they speak out? You know, I as a mother, you know, would I tell my daughter to just stay in the relationship um, would I, you know, do we even know what to do? Do we, I know that I should go to the police and this is the kind of um, this is the part of the section of the police station that I should go to those kinds of things. Um, so there's a lot that needs to be done in just deconstructing a lot of the stigma around gender-based violence. You know, I was, I was reading about the Bill Cosby case as well where yes. women are never believed uh, when, when they come forth and they report yes, these cases we, mm-hmm. they become the victim's first mm. uh, we don't trust them and believe them uh, always suspicious about their story yes, or okay. their side of the story and we need to change that conversation but what 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 did you take away from this and that that we can use to continue these discussions and, and maybe have more of these panels happening Sure. I think from a very personal perspective for myself as a media is just looking at how do I report about women who have come out for example, uh, do I, you know, do, do a character assassination? So we can look at two high-profile cases. That's Bill Cosby, I mean, uh, Bill Clinton and uh, Jacob Zuma. Both of them, at the very least, let's call it sexual indiscretion. Um, and what happens, right? One goes, both of the men go on to have extremely successful political mm-hmm. careers. Yeah. Uh, the woman, you know, one has to go into exile to, to uh, the Netherlands. That's crazy. That's, you know, her alias. Um, they move to, to Tanzania. It's finally come back after a number of years. Monica Lewinsky basically could not have a career because of this. So then how do I perpetuate that in the media? How do I report on these women? Mm. Do I start doubting her morals? Do I start digging up stories from her in the past? That kind of thing. Mm. But I think beyond that, I think just a big part of the conversation that we had um, at this panel um, was to say that, right, it's very easy to speak about what we want to do to change the rest of the world. It's easy, it's grand, and it's, it's very, it's a distance kind of thing. It's also just looking at ourselves as individuals and saying, right, what do I do? 
on a daily basis? Um, how do I perpetuate it? Um, do I show solidarity? Do I support women? Um, and even myself, because, you know, I was quite honest with that panel and I said, you know, it's very easy to speak about other women. Other women should come out um, if they're abused. But do I know that I would? Um, come out if I was abused mm-hmm. um, it, and it's going to confront you know what are the things that are the barriers to my coming out and speaking out against abuse and how do I support fellow women who are being abused as well because coming out you need to come out to a safe place because you cannot Definitely. come out and, and be vulnerable and you know be mm-hmm. be the butt of every joke around no. um, um, you, how do we deal with the un African issue? You know, because where where do we where do we try? Yeah, where do we draw the line between uh, our rights and and exercising our rights and uh, our culture? You know, it really, really upsets me when people say things like that, when people say, oh, this is not African, this is, you know, um, particularly when they're defending things that should not be defended. Um, firstly, our cultures are here to be templates for us. They're not here to be prisons for us. Um, culture is there to, um, it's meant to reinforce and to sort of uh, better the way in which we do things because there's a, a template, you know, for which we can do things. Um, culture changes. So I always use the example of number one, you know, Shaka Zulu, when he decided that he was going to build his army, he stopped circumcision because, frankly, for him, it was a waste of time. Um, you know, he wanted the men to be undergoing um, training at that time, so he, under- mm. he let go of that because he felt that it does not serve his purposes. Mm. And in the same way, we should be able to do that. Unfortunately, colonialism has made us a lot more defensive of things that do not serve us. Um, beyond that, also, I'm really, really upset with that princess who spoke. It's Princess uh, Dineo of, of the Northwest, if I'm not mistaken, because if she had done a lot more reading, and I'll be quite harsh about some of these people who do speak about African culture and say that it's monolithic and that sort of thing, they would have known that there are many, many different African cultures that are actually matrilineal, um, that are a lot more feminist. So, for example, in Limpopo, we have the Balubedu, um, that's Queen Mojaji's people, um, her nation. Uh, women are the leaders in that society, the Asante of Ghana. There's so many of these societies across the rest of the continent. But in the face of colonialism, we've gotten a lot more, we've started to ape a lot more of the patriarchy and that sort of thing and stopped really um, interrogating why we do some of these things. So I really always just push back and I think it's a lack of education on our part as Africans to really understand where our cultures have gone through and understanding that even if it was the case that our, uh, our cultures were by and large patriarchal, they can change because they are our cultures. They're here to serve us, not to imprison us. Well, I can't end it with, with better words, but I thought I'll find a quote by Bell Hawks for you. Mm-hmm. Beloved, yes, love Bell Hawks. <laughs> Beloved community is formed not by the eradication of difference, but mm-hmm. by its affirmation, by each of us claiming the identities and cultural legacies that shape who we are and how we live in the world. Wow, that was amazing. Yeah. Panasha, always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Shadow. Thank you. You take care. That was Panache Chigumadzi, and you will find uh, every, every week uh, the Vanguard online magazine. Very, very, very interesting, especially as a young person. Uh, I think you should go and read and have them subscribe and have them online. Every Tuesday, they post new comments, new opinions, new stories on Vanguard online magazine. Now.
how can we fight youth unemployment together? Well, Abigail Mashangu of Tushian Advisory Services joins me and she uh, was part of an and Mail and Guardian um, uh, panel yesterday, Thinking Forum, Critical Thinking Forum, which got together yesterday. And she gives us feedback. Hello and welcome to you, Abigail. Hi, Shadow. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very excited to be talking to you because reading on all the work you do and how passionate you are about helping other people, especially in business, but also the fact that you believe in building multi-generational businesses. Tell us about that. <laughs> Good afternoon also to the listener, Shadow. Mm. Um, yeah, I really believe in, in multi-generational businesses because one of my core values is living for generations to come. Mm-hmm. And that's because in everything that we do, we, we got to, you know, yes, one part is the sustainability conversation, but the other part for me is also the inheritance what do I have to give to the future generations uh, that they can take forward and use as a platform to build and continue building going forward? It's something that's close to my heart and something that I value very dearly. I think you should contribute to this, the new script of Generations Legacy. because i think that's what it's trying to do (laughs) tell tell us about the critical thinking forum because i'll go through the work you do in a bit but the most important thing is is it really possible to fight youth unemployment aren't we too late do we still have time sure um no it's never too late Mm. (laughs) Mm. and i think if we were to accept that it's too late that means we are accepting uh, defeat and the situation is not going to get any better. It will just get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the conversation yesterday was, was very interesting and just looking at it from different angles, um, you know, having the different panelists also coming from different organizations, um, what was very clear is that there's going to be two things that are needed. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, there's a number of things that are needed, but one of the things that is required to be able for us to be able to fight youth unemployment, we definitely need a short-term solution. Mm-hmm. We need to bridge the gap somewhere, somehow how that is going to help us. We, we agree, we acknowledge, we have fallen behind, we are in a crisis situation, we need a short-term solution. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we need, we need a medium-term solution and we also need a long-term solution so that we don't find ourselves back here okay. in a couple of years' time. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it, it's, it's not too late. It, it's about us finding innovative solutions to address what can we do right now in the short term um, and what can we then do in planning for the long term. What was also quite um, clear in the conversations is that um, when we talk development in the long term, there are no clear shortcuts and we have to be prepared to invest as a country and as individuals. We have to be prepared to invest to be able to reap the fruit. For us to see youth unemployment declining and for us to see economic growth uh, in this country. Mm. Now, you talk about we. We need we. Who's we? (laughs) We is everyone. I'm one of those people who believe that every single person needs to has a role to play mm. uh, in how we fight youth unemployment. And, um, you know, after the conversations yesterday, I had a young gentleman come chat to me and he's studying at uh, studying economics. And his question was to me, Abigail, what role do you think the community has in, in curbing this youth unemployment issue? Because from where I come from, 
And in my days, when I missed school, my parents would be so harsh on me. The teachers would even phone home and say, your son hasn't pitched for school. Mm. But today, some kids miss school and their parents, you know, don't even bother to say, why didn't you go to school? Or maybe they miss school and there isn't that parent at home to say, this child has missed school and, and pull that into order. So when I say we, I really believe that each and every person has that responsibility. So the community has a responsibility because we acknowledge that, it, yes, it's the education, it's the upbringing, it's the school of thought, it's the background, the environment that people grow up in informs a lot about what they are striving to achieve, what the, their vision, their what, what they are passionate about. And that's why I'm also a strong believer in exchange programs because exchange programs just open up someone's world. You know, mm-hmm. if you take them from one part of the world to another part, it just says there's this whole other part of the world, good or bad, but it just opens up their thinking and opens up uh, the possibilities in the landscape of what this world could and does look like. Um, and, and business has a role as well, a huge role, um, both in, in and I, I, always come, I come from the entrepreneurship background, so mm-hmm. I'm always biased to entrepreneurship, so big business has the, the, the role to open up those value chains, uh, open up those supply chains and let SMEs come in, let young businesses come in mm. and, and allow them to to um, you know to contribute and, and also accept that the first few times it won't be hundred percent correct but over time through the right support and the right development they will be able to supply the right product at the right quality and in the right quantities that's required. You know, and then of course government coming in with the right policies and creating that environment, that enabling environment for all these things to come to play. But unfortunately if the environment is not enabling it becomes a crippling factor, and um, in my view, that uh, it sometimes does inhibit what other parties can bring uh, to the table. It does inhibit that implementation. Do you know, Abigail, I wonder, I think we must go back here, because a lot of young people I talk to seem to be very confused about what to do after matric, what to study, if anything, and uh, what sort of work they want. So our 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 career guidance as uh, uh, programs that are in place, are we speaking the, the right language to these young people or are we reaching them and giving them uh, a real picture of, of, of what exists out there? Uh, my personal observation for answer is no. And um, that is because, um, you know, I mean, I work a lot with young people as well, both as a volunteer um, and also through the business. We, we come and we work with the young people, and you're very right. Many of them are confused about what to do. Um, I think the system at, at the moment, there are a lot of loopholes. It was interesting engaging with some other young people who still believed that CVs had to be faxed. They, they didn't have email addresses. Fax was the only way, and some even wanted to post it, didn't even know how to... to mm-hmm. um, you know, portray or, or, or speak about themselves in the CVs. And we also ran a, an internship for, for one of our clients, and we had 159 youth that were there. And what we found is that they can't even articulate what they want to do and what they're truly passionate about, where they want to go. So, yes, there is a big gap. However, I do feel there are a lot of good organizations who are filling that gap. The question mm. is now, how do those organizations uh, get help to reach out to more young people? Then there's quite a lot of them that I can think of right now who are focusing on helping young people. And even then, Shadow, it goes back to my first answer when I said there's a short-term and medium-term and a long-term. Abigail, please, please, please stay on the line for me. Hold that thought. We'll come back to that. It's time for okay. our news headlines with Otsilia Sako.
Thanks, Shadow Western Cape Correctional Services spokesperson Simpia Klauko says the former Fidential boss J. Arthur Brown has been taken to the Goodwood Prison in Cape Town to undergo a classification process. Brown was arrested yesterday after the Supreme Court of Appeal on Monday set aside his suspended sentence on two charges of fraud. The Metal Workers Union NUMSA says intelligence structures are being used to target those who are critical of the status quo. The union earlier today accused the state security agents of being behind a document that alleges that a number of political commentators are assisting NUMSA to effect regime change. And the Steve Biko Foundation has confirmed that the High Court in Johannesburg has halted the auction of the anti-apartheid activists' original autos- autopsy documents. The foundation spokesperson, Tanda Supuye, says the court has ruled in favor of the Biko family and the sale will not go forward. Details at 2 o'clock. Otherwise, on SAFM. Talking the role of social partnerships and innovation in bringing young South Africans into work. And my guest is Abigail Masango. Abigail, I interrupted you there. While career guidance then would be one of the short-term um, interventions, would it? Short, medium, and long term. Mm. So what I was saying is, again, when you consider the organizations that are available outside the education system, look, I'm not saying that we should exclude it from the organization, from the educational system. I definitely think it needs to be fixed. But in the process, I'm saying there are organizations who are already out there trying to now close this gap. So from a primary school, already at primary school, kids should be encouraged to dream, to think. And that's where the exposure for me becomes very important because the more they're exposed to, the more it triggers their thinking on what they could become. Uh, but then you also need for, for uh, the grade, um, between grade, and I need to think back on the grades and the standards. <laughs> so <laughs> early high school, you know, when we start standards, what we used to call standard six and standard eight. Mm. Uh, but that period just before where they have to choose their subjects, there's critical career guidance that's required there because that already starts to inform the direction where they are likely to end up in. You know, what subjects should they be choosing that is going to assist them in, in their career path? And then those guys who are in grade 11 to grade 12, that for me is now literally the short-term space where it's almost like um, we need, because there's quite a lot of them who are now sitting in grade 11 and grade 12 and don't know what to do, mm-hmm. and need that assistance to say, what now after matric? Or even some of them who, you know, through uh, the organizations I work with, some of the NGOs, they come to grade 12, they had this vision of becoming a surgeon, and they've been working and dreaming all their lives that they want to become a surgeon, and you look at their net results and you know they're not going to be accepted into medical school. Mm-hmm. And then it's, oops, now what? Abigail, I, I, I want you to, to give us a to-do list now, because you said we're all involved in, 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 in making this possible. Um, what do I do? What does a person listening do to, to, to hold hands with your groups and, and other panelists that you, you were talking to? How do we help in, in, in uh, getting young South Africans to, into work? Hmm. I think, um, Shadow, if I can start with the, the basics, um, the family foundation, um, and considering what a lot of our, our social structures, uh, when, I, when I mean social, I talk the community structures, mm-hmm. some of them are, are pretty broken. And I think if I was to talk to an ordinary South African, uh, as in just a, a citizen, the, the first place would be to start, how do we encourage our youth to dream? Mm. How do we encourage mm. our youth to think further and to think beyond what what they can see? Mm. So how do we challenge them to be bigger and better than who they are? Mm. And, and almost putting that out as 
for everyone in that particular community looking out for the youth in that community. Yes. And for people in business, I would say, how do you start opening yourself up to transfer skills and to transfer knowledge to young people? Mm. This could be in the form of just having internships, having vocational programs, having ways of just giving them exposure. And I'm one of those who strongly believes in, in um, you know, one bite at a time. Mm. Um, uh, the problem seems so overwhelming. And it, in, at no given point, do I constantly have to remind myself that I'm not trying to solve South Africa's problems. Yes. I'm trying to help that individual that comes across my path. Okay. And by doing that, I think it, it almost gives me the, the, the strength to help another individual, another mm. individual. Mm. And by helping another, 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 eventually we'll be able to reach out and help, and help um, you know, uh, and spread the, the help across. Um, and yeah, so that's, I think that's what I would, you know, I would put out as a to-do list. Listen, you've given us so much, but I want us to continue this conversation at different times, especially at the beginning of the year, because I think it's a very important one. And in the meantime, I'd like uh, whoever is listening and is interested in being part of the solution uh, to to find you, because I know you're a public speaker, uh, you're a personal development trainer and a workshop facilitator. So I think uh, we should give your email address or your website so that people can reach you. Certainly. You're welcome to do that. Um, we, we also focus a lot on entrepreneurial programs, and that is going into communities and saying, the youth that are interested in starting businesses, how do we help them identify opportunities in their communities, um, and how do we help them quantify those opportunities and develop the, them into proper businesses? Uh, we run a, a program like that as well, utilizing a lot of the local resources and the local assets within that particular community. Can you give us a website, please, Abigail? Uh, www.tushia.tfotomi.uanda.sfshuga.hpohos.ipo.indigo.yfoyellow.h.a.for.apple.h.tushia.tfotomi.uanda.sfshuga.hpohos.ipo.indigo.yfoyellow.h.a.for.ap
elections brought us dignity. Apartheid is no more. Racism is now a criminal offense. So let's be proud of how far we've come and celebrate who we are each Friday by wearing anything that expresses our pride in our nation. Freedom Fridays. Wear it with pride. Post your messages and photos on Facebook and Twitter. Hashtag Freedom Friday. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. The SABC would like to thank all producers who attended the request for proposals roadshows in all the provinces. All producers must familiarize themselves with the conditions to be observed when bidding as stipulated in the Section A of the brief book. Please note that nobody is allowed to accept proposals by hand at the SABC. All proposals must be submitted into the designated big box on the dates stipulated in the briefs between 9 o'clock in the morning and 2 o'clock in the afternoon in all SABC provincial offices. Otherwise, on SAFM. Goeiedag, Leandi. Hello. Ghanet. Ghanet. Oh, good, Oh, in English, Afrikaans. No, no, we, we well, I, I'm trying my luck. Just be nice to you. <laughs> But I like Afrikaans, it's good. How are you? Well, thank you. Listen, Leandi, welcome and thank you for joining us. And thank you for this book, because I think it was, it, it is a necessary one. And I'm just wondering how many young people, and I'm hoping because of your acting uh, abilities, because you're very popular as an actress, I'm hoping you. that your name is the one that attracts the young ladies to the book. Yeah, I hope so, man. Um, well, it's obviously, it's uh, it's an honor to be an actress and to have that platform. But I, I really wrote that book just to get it out there and to help teenagers because I know how tough it is in today's day and age to be a teenager. And um, sure, all the, you know, all the stuff you struggle with as a teenager that, that you are faced. So. Mm. Yeah, that's how I got inspired to write the book. Did you have to go through most of the things that we listed earlier? Yes, um, some of it I did. And mm. a lot of friends that I know also went through it if I did not go through it myself. And um, I studied uh, become industrial psychology. So mm. I, I was taught about a lot of uh, different pathologies and problems that kids have, more speaking of the the abuse and the, the eating disorders and stuff. And, and I realized through my own life experiences, my friends' experiences, and through what I studied, that there is a lot of kids with hurt in today's day and age. And I think the main problem is we don't deal with our hurt. We're shy about it. Mm. We're shy to admit that we're not confident or that we have an eating disorder or that we have no, um, you know, believe in ourselves. Um, and then we just leave it. And then eventually we become adults and we become mothers. And, but we still have that hurt inside of us. So we can never be the person that we're supposed to be or be the good mother that we want to be or wife because we were never fully, um, you know, like recovered by ourselves. So that's why I always say my book is not necessarily just for teenagers. Maybe something happened in your teenage years mm. that you never worked through, that you just, that's still in your heart and you're repressing it. Um, but you will know. Only you will know if you're still lacking in that area or that area is still hurtful for you today. And then you can still work through my book and go back to those teenage years and those experiences to try and work through that. Well, it's a, it's a good thing you mentioned that because I thought your, your attitude towards yourself and your body is what you learn from home first. Yes. And how comfortable you are in your own skin at home. Yes, no, definitely. And it's very important. Um, I was lucky to have parents that always told me that I'm, that I'm pretty and that I'm good enough and it doesn't matter if I win or I don't win, um, that they believe in me and I must just be myself. 
Because in today's day and age, you know, we all, we just compare ourselves to other people the whole time. And we want to be better than that one. And we want to be this. So I always say to kids that you want to be like Angelina Jolie, but then you're never going to be a winner because only Angelina Jolie can be the best at being Angelina Jolie. <laughs> so you will always be second at that. You must rather try and be the best that you can be because no one will ever beat you at that. So it doesn't matter what you look like or what your talents are or what your gifts are. Rather use that and tap into that and don't compare that to what others have because everyone's going to have something, if you want to see it in that eye, better than you or be prettier than you or that. Um, but that's not what it's about. It's about being the best version of yourself. You know, I listen to you now and I'm thinking it's 16 days of activism. The campaign is on and this is really the best time for young people to 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 get your book and especially now just to read about their bodies because they don't need anyone to validate them. If they feel they need to use their bodies to be loved, they need to um, let other people, you know, touch them in the wrong way because they may get a cell phone or that sort of thing. And um, it it, it is, you know, it it, it is the right time to be reading this book. But... How do we have a conversation if a mom is listening now of a young girl or if a sister is listening of somebody's sister, how do they open up the conversation? Because there's also the fact that you don't want to um, break the barrier because young girls who are not confident of themselves usually have barriers around them. Um, How do you penetrate that space? Oh, lack of a better word. How do you get into that space without without um, just letting them shut down altogether and introducing, maybe introducing your book for Christmas would be the best idea? Yeah, that would be lovely. In the book, um, I take you through a journey, a 30-day journey, no, actually a 21-day journey, um, where you get to know yourself and where you have to do introspection to see, do I have an, um, an eating disorder? Um, have I been hurt when I was young and I repressed it and I don't want to talk about it with someone? Or am I allowing my boyfriend to do stuff with me that I don't actually want to, but just to, to be cool? You know what I'm saying? Mm. Whatever issues that you have in your life, you will discover that if you do my book. And in the book, I give you tools how to work through that. And what I always tell girls, if you have something that you have to, to discuss with someone, because you know that you were hurt or that something was done to you or someone else did not respect your body, the first thing you have to do is obviously admit it to yourself and to realize that it is not your fault. It is not something to be shy or embarrassed about and that if you have someone that you trust in your life, it can be a friend, it can be a, a mother, a grandmother, a father, it can be a school teacher, then I urge you to go to that person and to talk to them and tell them that you want to share something with them. And obviously ask them to not share it with someone, with someone else unless you give them the privilege to do so. But um, also, if you're scared of talking to someone, because that's a huge issue for a lot of girls, then you can write it in a letter and give that letter to a person that you want you to help you, you know? Mm-hmm. Or you can go read online on forums of people who went through the similar stuff than you to see what they did to work through it. You know, there's many ways of dealing with it as long as you don't sit still and you keep that hurt to yourself. It's very important to work on ourselves, to challenge our thoughts, our feelings, because that's the only way we're going to grow as human beings, and that's the only way we're going to become healthy again so that we can be the best that we were put on this earth to be. And uh, also, the other people that hurt you, they must realize that what they did is wrong, because that's why people get away with it. Um, 
the abusers, the rapers, the boyfriends, the cool girls, the bitch and bully other girls, because no one ever stands up for themselves. Mm, mm. Leandi, baie dankie, skat. <laughs> and geniet, <laughs> geniet wat uh, kerstfeest, ne? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm good like that. Thank, Thank you. you and so the much. book, then the book is available at all good bookstores, right? Yeah, exclusive books and online gallery. You'll find it there. Comfortable in your own skin. Thank you so much for talking Thank to us. Thank you for the talk. Have a nice day. Bye bye. It's a guide to loving yourself. And I thought I'll just end it up by saying the one person who will never leave us, whom we will never lose, is ourself. Learning to love our female selves is where our search for love must begin. Again, it's Bell Hooks.